Welcome to the No Normal. The No Normal Podcast is a special presentation coming to you from New Music Edmonton. Thank you for joining us for this month's array of conversations, music, and special features. For more information about our organization's programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwichiwaskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. Welcome, everyone. This is Ian Crutchley, the Artistic Director of New Music Edmonton, and this is the next episode of The No Normal. In this episode of The No Normal, we put the focus on Parker Thiessen, who really represents well, I think, the local experimental music scene. Parker is both a visual artist and a musician. He's worked as a soloist and has worked with a rich collection of other local artists here. Sometimes these are one-off performances, but as often as not, Parker has formed lasting artistic partnerships in the form of numerous duos and groups, private investigators, Zebra Pulse, and many, many more. On top of that, Parker Thiessen is also the co-founder, alongside his private investigator's partner, Ian Rowley, of the local record label, Pseudo Laboratories. Operating since 2014, Pseudo Laboratories releases cassettes and bandcamp digitizations of an extraordinary range of experimental music. So, for the whole of this episode, this is me interviewing Parker Thiessen. Along the way, we'll hear some excerpts of music from Pseudo Laboratories releases and recordings featuring Parker himself. Details for these can all be found on the text accompanying this podcast episode. Okay, so welcome, Parker Thiessen. Yeah, so it kind of (laughs) cited it. I did that. I've done that before. I asked the wrong. Yeah. Start with a very basic question, which is what are the origins of super laboratories? I used to run a a collective called the Ramshackle Day Parade, Mm -hmm. which was kind of just like a a free for all for experimental music, noise music, whatever. It was just kind of like anyone, anyone can release anything. It's all online only for the most part. We did a few CDs, but it was all very uncurated and it was just like this place that I wanted anyone to be able to use or or play or anything like that. That still went on for a while and then pseudo laboratories started around towards the end of it, but it was um it was kind of intended to be more of a curated uh like physical release thing and 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 something just just a, you know not wildly different but a, a little different. Um but it kind of started when uh, Ian and I started Ian Rowley, who Ian Rowley. who also mm-hmm. uh, runs runs Pseudo Laboratories with me, uh, we we started jamming, um, and we were called the Private Investigators, and sure. yeah. um, it just kind of started out, and we thought like, hey, we should release a tape. Like, should we try to get a label to do it? What labels do we know that would do it? We didn't really know anyone, 
and thought like, yeah, well, let's just do it ourselves. And then um, I also had a solo release that was supposed to come out. And the label that was going to do it kind of changed directions. And so it just kind of thought like, hey, I've got this release. Can it go on pseudo laboratories? And Ian and I both thought, yeah, let's do it. Hmm. And then uh, Private Investigator soon after, and it just kind of, we were just like, yeah, we'll just release music of our own and of friends, basically. So what sort of year are we talking about? December 2014 was the, the first release, and that was Private Investigator's first first tape. For sure, yeah. And so, yeah. and how long before that had Ramshackle Day Parade been happening? Uh, Ramshackle Day Parade started in like 2007, I want to oh, say. Wow. Yeah. Like not long after I moved to Edmonton. In your description a little earlier and on the Bandcamp site, the term experimental is used. And my own background is mostly in classical composition where the, the word experimental has a certain meaning that <clears> is argued and um, battled over and there have been hurt feelings and yeah. so wondering, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting word, but it's also a very powerful word in its own way. And I'm wondering if you could explain what it means to you to say that some music is experimental. This is something I, I think about a lot and talk about a lot because it is one of those things where, I mean, even the music I make, can it really be called experimenting anymore? You know, in the true sense of the world, it's not necessarily experimenting, but I think for me, experimental music is something where it's predominantly not a specific genre. It's of whatever genre it is, but it's too weird to specifically just be that genre. So like, like experimental pop, experimental rock noise rock things like that but then to me it's something where you're letting the music do something on its own or the sound do something on its own you're not fully in control not necessarily improvisational but just allowing that element of something to to happen whether it's just like having an effects pedal that you just you're cranking knobs and you don't know what it's going to do um, but you're controlling the thing that's going into that pedal or things like that uh, yeah just kind of letting go of music i think is to me is is the real experimentation. In sort of going through the Pseudo Laboratories catalog, it's vast now. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of releases. Do you know how many in, roughly there are now? I, I should have I counted think, them today, but... <laughs> I think Kelly's was 47, 46 yeah. maybe? It's a two-column list of individual artists although some yeah. there's some personnel in common between some of the artist groups but is there in your mind and Ian's mind something that holds them in common besides just being experimental it's probably not something you could just hear necessarily maybe maybe if you're listening to them all at once you could hear it but there's there's like a certain amount of DIY that comes from it and it's like I was thinking I was thinking about all the releases we've done and and you know what's like the highest quality in terms of like you know highest production value or someone that you know recorded in a, a studio or anything like that and I can't think of anyone like there's there's some that sound incredible they've done an amazing job at at nailing their sound but I don't know that there's any releases that uh weren't recorded by the person who recorded them. Hmm, interesting. There, you know, there might have been a f you know a few people who helped or something like that, but for for the most part, I think it's um it's this DIY kind of aspect to it that that Ian and I I think both strongly encourage and and come from a place of of uh it just takes too long to rec 
record in a studio and have someone master yeah. and mix and 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 then uh you know go back and forth on what parts need editing and things like that and not that we'd be against someone doing that but i think that's kind of who's drawn to pseudo laboratories or uh when someone has a specific release that just kind of they they feel like that belongs on pseudo laboratories uh will reach out and um yeah that's not to say that we wouldn't you know release something by someone who's you know paid big money to to do it but right um, yeah. It, yeah it feels very much like this diy kind of kind of thing i think you can kind of hear that it's not so much that it doesn't sound clean or something like that to me yeah it, it just doesn't doesn't sound like it's done in the studio that's not a value scale really to me it's totally just, totally yeah. And of course, yeah, people do have lots of very cool equipment at home to do recordings these days. So, yeah, and it's—I mean, it's—you don't need a big studio a lot of these times, especially with electronic music, where you can mm-hmm. just plug straight into something, you know. Or mics are affordable, and software is free in a lot of cases. So, this is run by you and Ian Rowley together. Yeah. And could you tell us a little bit about what your working relationship <clears throat> is with regards to pseudo laboratories? Early on we would kind of talk about who we wanted to release for next and then reach out to those people and get them to to do something. But now that it's kind of got its own legs, you know, we still talk to people, but we get more people reaching out to us as well. Uh, I mean, Ian and I are very good friends and we have a lot of mutual friends, but we kind of both come from different musical pasts that, you know, we have different connections and we just kind of draw people in from different angles. Either someone will message me or someone will message Ian and, and uh, talk about wanting to do a release. And we'll kind of come together every now and then, have a meeting, and kind of talk about what we should do next. It's not often we say no to anyone. Usually, we don't really take submissions. It's mostly kind of people we've connected with through music in some way, not necessarily sure. friends, but mm-hmm. um, it has been friends thus far. We kind of almost in a way, it's like, okay, well, that's they reached out to you. You take the lead. And then one of us will do the artwork, usually, unless the artist has something. Each person is kind of in charge of a different release, and then uh-huh. the other one just helps that person get it finished. It's almost like we each have our own pseudo-laboratories, but we work on it together. Yeah. And so how far ahead do you plan releases? It used to be, as soon as they gave us the music, it would be like, okay, we'll, we'll get the artwork right away, and it's like, within a month, we'll we'll have your release ready, but just the way life has been over the last couple of years, things, things move a little slower. Yeah. Um, we've, we've also tried as best we can to release multiple projects at once. Uh, are there currently artists on pseudo laboratories from elsewhere than our city? We did uh, one for Doreen Gerard. She's in Winnipeg. She's in this band called Burden. This is one of my favorite releases of, on pseudo lab. They take in the, just the string board out of a piano. Oh, and they yes. they just take string and they they've run strings through the uh, yeah. through the actual string yes. on the piano and they just rub them back and forth so you get this just like constant drone and they just mm-hmm. are both between the two of them they're just kind of they look like they're puppeteering almost moving these strings around and just vibrating um and I had heard their music before but then I saw it live in Winnipeg and I couldn't believe that it was just a just a piano board like there wasn't there's no effects there's just a, a contact mic and then a, just a SM57 kind of picking up
let's say that you and Ian have discussed a particular artist and uh, you have decided that that artist will be released by Pseudo Laboratories. What is the process from that decision to the cassette itself being released and, of course, being posted on Bandcamp? The first thing that always comes up is artwork. I feel like Ian and I are both visual artists and usually we'll hear like one or two tracks or something like that. And then we'll kind of be like, yeah, let's, let's go forward with it. It's, there hasn't been a lot of time where we've kind of been like, oh, let's try something different or, or anything like that. But usually we'll discuss artwork as the first thing. And in, in most cases, Ian or I will do the artwork. Uh, every now and then an artist will kind of have a specific vision and, and they'll do the artwork and we'll kind of try to work together where we can land on something that uh, Ian and I are both happy with and the artist is happy with. Recently, we've started doing these boxes um, where it's, you know, not, not traditional cassette-shaped cases, nice. and we like to include some ephemera, some extra bonus goodies in there. So we kind of talk with the artist about what, what that could be. Usually the artist has kind of been, like, excited about that, and we'll, we'll come up with something that they can, you know, create 30 or 50 of or whatever it is. Like Owen uh, OAS, he had kind of these coins with a face on them that sort of mimicked the album cover and Kelly mm. Ruth had some of her fiber art stuff in there. There was another guy from Calgary Nando's who wasn't sure what he wanted in there, but I had all these uh parts from these old film equipment from CBC and so we <sighs> kind of put all these little transistors and things like that in there which oh, lovely. uh which <laughs> fit fit his music really well cuz it just kind of sounded like these fried electronics. And... <laughs> but then yeah, once once the the physical is ready to go we announce the album and then throw it up on Bandcamp as soon as uh, as soon as we at least have a substantial number of copies available. It's interesting because I grew up in a time when LPs were the norm and cassettes were the option. If you right, if it was always a dollar more than the LP for some reason. When they, really, yeah, yeah. When they used to advertise records on TV, it would be get it A and B Sound now for five ninety nine LP, six ninety nine cassette. Really? Wow. Yep. I have no idea why. I do know, though, that the theory was that if you had a really good cassette player, the sound was better. I didn't like them because, first of all, I didn't have a very good cassette player. But also, and this ties in with what you were just talking about, the packaging was absolute crap. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, like my records were double gatefolds and they would have posters and lyric yeah. sheets and pictures on the inside and all this kind of stuff. And then the cassette. You'd unwrap it, and it would have a list of tracks on the back flap. <laughs> yeah. And this teeny-weeny version yeah. of the picture. You know, cassettes bring up the issue of two things to me. One is, at the same time as they, were, they had this kind of weird role in commercial releases in those days, they were a thing we all had because we could make recordings. We could record off of a stereo somebody else's LP. <laughs> You're right, right. Or just put my little tiny cassette recorder beside the radio and record things live off the radio on the tiny microphone. But um, so they were kind of a dual edged thing in a way. They were crummy as commercial releases to me anyway. Yeah. Really great as a tool for building up your record. What about the audio part of cassettes? Is it important to you that it sounds like a cassette or does it? matter is it just really a convenient and sort of diy component i mean number one it's convenient and affordable i'm not gonna lie and say that oh it's cassettes they just sound 
so good and that's you know that's what you want but i do enjoy the quality of them i think for the music i make personally i feel like when it's on a cassette there's a certain sound to it that i find nostalgic and and enjoy and i i feel like when i'm making music i tend to think about what medium it would be released on mm. as i'm making it even like if it's something where it, it sounds really crisp and there's these light light sounds in the background or something like that i wouldn't necessarily think you know i'm anxious to get this on a cassette but right. generally i do release on cassette but i i think the the speed of it i when i first moved to edmonton i worked at this audiovisual company and they had a cassette duplicator and i immediately was like whoa this thing just like you can pump out like three cassettes in mm -hmm. like two minutes i've seen those i remember those yeah and yeah. and so i was just like this is amazing and it, <laughs> it sounded like it's and i think the first couple pseudo lab releases are on that same machine and it <laughs> sounded pretty awful yeah yeah i got a, a better one later on in in pseudo lab it's something I think about a lot about whether we should stick with cassettes or if we should go another direction. I love LPs. I, I have a massive mm. LP collection, and that that would definitely be my favorite. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, it really is just having that physical release that's important to me. I think at the end of it, there's something about using that old technology, even or or having those cassettes, that just feels good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. should we do an unboxing? <laughs> yeah. I love so it. I have my I have my Kelly Ruth Simulacra box here. So we open this uh what is it about a four by four box or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's exactly yeah. four by four. Yeah. Uh it's got the pseudo laboratories logo on the inside of the lid. And then there is of course the cassette. I'm slightly colorblind, but this is sort of sky blue or something. Yeah, I think aqua blue is what, aqua it, blue. what it said yeah. on, uh, on the website. Yeah. And then some cards with images of Kelly Ruth's virtual self performing. There's one with a skateboard. That's cool. I like. And then this is amazing. There is, I guess, could be a keychain or possibly could be made into an earring or all sorts of things. But this is a yeah. genuine piece of Kelly Ruth fiber art. Yeah, so. made with the loom that made the music. Thank you. 
the releases are also available on Bandcamp. Yeah. What are the advantages of that dual release system for you? With the cassettes, we do pretty limited runs, 30, 50. Every now and then we'll do 100 copies or something like that. But for the, mm-hmm. for the most part, we're doing pretty small runs. And especially now that we're doing these boxes, we try to keep them pretty limited so that, you know, people can buy those. And it's, you know, if it sells out, it's not like, oh, this music is unavailable anymore. A lot of these artists have put in a lot of work. And it's just a way to keep it affordable for everyone involved, but still have that ability for their work to you know be shared for years to come and i mean we still do every now and then we'll get someone asking for you know the first release from pseudolab or mm-hmm. or that you know they'll be they'll want kelly's first album now that they've heard their second album right right i mean i don't like the whole like scarcity adds value concept but it does add this sense of if you see a cassette for sale and you want it you better get on it now because yeah. there's probably only a hundred copies out there. So, mm-hmm. but then it's also, you know, if you don't have the money to do that, then it's, it's still accessible. And, and the nice thing about cassettes and I've, I've always said this to people is like, I can send you the print file and you can print your own cover and you can buy a blank cassette and you can make a cassette and it's really no different than, <laughs> yeah than the situation, you know, I mean, you don't get the box or anything like that, but it's really about that more about that cassette culture that yeah. like kind of, you know, trading or like you can have a bunch of cassettes and then once you get like, you know, too many cassettes, you can be like, oh, I don't really listen to this one anymore. I'll pass it along to a friend or it, there's a certain amount of just transientness to it mm-hmm. that I like. Yeah. What are some of the current things that you're looking at in terms of projects for pseudo laboratories? Who are some of the artists you're planning to release soon or recently? Um, so our next uh releases we're gonna try to do three three at a time um but it it might not work out that way but psychic chamber we've been talking to them for a long time about doing a release so we're we're pretty excited it's flute flute based predominantly yeah it's like kind of flute and ambience yeah electronics yes it's kind of like a new age vibe but it's a lot darker than i guess most new age would be which i I mean really speaks Mm -hmm. to me that's like that's right up my alley is kind Mm -hmm. of that dark new age vibe
and then Sean McIntosh, who's the drummer of Zebra Pulse and and many many other projects, uh, they're going to be doing a release as well, kind of just their their modular modular synth stuff, and, and as well a compilation of a bunch of different acts across Canada. So, mm-hmm. which will be the first uh, Pseudolab compilation. It's three tapes, and every artist gets one side, and so it's kind of you pair the pair artists up. So uh, Soft Ions is on there, a project I'm involved in, and then uh, Ancient Greens yeah. is another one. Right. Uh, Wasted Cathedral, Brick Road, which is Ethan Bookma. Sure. Wasted yep. Cathedral is Chris Chris Laramie, and then uh, Doreen Gerard has a, a piece on there, and then Tack Leaf Ensemble. Seems to me that Pseudo Laboratories seems to say something to me about this city and the community here and i'm i'm wondering if you have a way of thinking about that 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 might describe that or or kind of put put words to that vague thing that i'm sensing about it when people talk about experimental scenes and i've even seen this on like forums and stuff like this that are like worldwide where people have been like what's going on in edmonton alberta like what's up with that yeah. and i think i mean we have so many things we've got like new music edmonton we've got beams um we had pseudo laboratories. We had Ramshackle before, and and people doing all sorts of stuff bef- long before that even. And what pseudo lab has that's different is maybe more of like I said before that DIY mm-hmm. kind of aspect to it, and maybe a little less trained musicians or or kind of pulling musicians from that kind of punk or or rock scene where it's you know they're used to playing in bars, not necessarily concert halls or or things like that. So it's it's just kind of coming at it from a different angle than I think than yeah. than some of the other ones in the city are. And I think, I mean, every arts organization, let alone just a, just music, is pulling at things from a different angle. And the art scene in Edmonton is very small, so you get these people that are involved all in you know multiple things. You get all this crossover, but everybody kind of puts on a different hat or something depending who who it's under. And I think we really pull from that that kind of. Um, bar scene for lack of a better term yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of experimental music like talking to people from other cities or other places about the scene there and i think it is quite rare what we have in edmonton like the mm-hmm. the the friendship that you know a, a thing like new music edmonton and pseudo laboratories could could have that um in a lot of different cities they would almost be opposing each other sure and it, yeah and it's it's really refreshing to know that it's it's uh, our uh, the Edmonton art scene in general is incredibly accepting and encouraging of people just making art, and that is, I mean, that's really what every art scene should be. Okay, Parker Thiessen, let's talk about you. One of the things you mentioned talking about pseudo laboratories and the local scene is the number of projects some people are in, and that definitely applies to you. I couldn't name them all necessarily, but I'm pretty sure I can name four or five things that you're involved in, plus working as a soloist. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how all or some of those different ensembles and solo work come together to kind of make a picture of you as an artist? Do they do they tap into different aspects of your thinking and creativity? I've always loved collaboration. To me, it's the same as you know, sitting in with someone in a living room and just and talking for, for hours, Talk, talking like good friends, talking not just like how's the weather kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's a language in itself. I think playing music with someone else, especially with experimental music, I love you know either doing it with people who make something totally different than me or 
who don't even normally make it and just, you know, they're just like, hey, I'd love to jam sometime. I don't normally do that kind of thing. It really brings out your own voice. There's times where you, you don't say anything at all and you let the other person talk. There's times where, where you talk and the other person doesn't, but then there's times where you're kind of both doing something and when it, when it connects, I, I feel like you can really connect with a person. Two people, you know, you and one other person, that is like almost my ideal uh, situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like a lot of times it, it starts out just as this, like, let's just do this. And then it's hard to say no to doing a release or, or performing or, or something like that. And then it eventually just happens to become a project. You know, it, it might happen all the time. It might not happen very often, but it's like a friendship. Once you're, once you're friends, you're, unless you actively say we're not friends anymore, you know, you could go years without talking to that person. And, yeah. Yeah. And then you run into them again and you're, you're friends again. I feel like that's a lot of the bands I'm in or projects I'm in is kind of picture of a friendship at a time. When you come back together, is there a period where you have to acclimatize to each other again? Sometimes you'll jam and it kind of is like, yeah, that was fun, but I don't know. It sounded cool, but I don't know if anyone would want to hear that. And then sometimes it just is magic. It just ha- just happens. And Zebra Pulse is definitely the the biggest project I'm in uh, that's same lineup for years and years. And at this point, we haven't played music together in you know over two years now. But I, I know that that first jam that we have is going to be the, you know, it'll be the <laughs> best jam we have in years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, but also. Yeah, music. but I mean, even just like, uh, you know, we, we used to do this thing where we would practice, you know, be like, okay, we have a show coming up. Let's like practice, you know, two or three times this week. Then when we practice, we're like, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. And then the show happens and it's like not as awesome. So then we had a policy of no, no practicing the week before a show so that it was still excitement around playing together that we had. If there was people there, there was people there. And if there wasn't, then it was just us jamming and it it didn't really matter to us how many people were there. And so then it, Mm -hmm. it just became a fun thing every time we came together. Yeah. So Zebra Pulse is four is quartet. I believe, right? Yeah, four of well, us. Yeah, Dave, Dave Schaefer, Schaefer Owen Strasky, and yeah. Sean McIntosh. So, what pulls it back together? You know, is there something that triggers it? Is it just like somebody says, "Hey, do you want to do a show?" Or, or is there a musical thing that is like, "I got, I got to get the guys together and try this out." Yeah, usually one of us will just either will like practice alone at home, and all of a sudden think like, "Oh, this would sound good with Zebra Pulse," and then we'll, yeah. one of us will just kind of message the other ones, and and we'll we'll get a jam together. What about Pirate Investigators? Since that is your label partner, Ian Rowley, do you think that the musical relationship between you has changed since you started the label? Yeah, I think it's changing. Private Investigators was very much Ian and I both starting to get into synthesizers. Previously, Ian plays guitar, and, and I was doing just various different sound makers of different types, but I'd never had a proper synthesizer, and we both got synthesizers around the same time that we had started to become better friends and we thought like hey let's just plug our synths together and see what what happens the synths we have is always evolving so it feels very much like a a project that's almost based on what we're each playing at that time or playing with at that time and so it has been a while since since we've we've jammed as well but um but that's something we've been talking about recently just you know seeing what it would be like now because it has been been so long um i think even our last release was um kind of had been recorded over the last couple years before that so so it has been a while now and i'd be i'd be curious to see see where it goes 
Could you talk a little bit about soft ions? And that's also been a very prominent part of your output in the last few years. Yeah, so that's that's my partner Jenna and I, and that's a different aspect than than a lot of the other projects I'm in because it's someone I live with. Uh, she plays a lot of violin uh, predominantly, and then uh, a bit of electronics as well. She recently got a synthesizer, so that will be a lot more prominent on the next release. Started out as kind of it, it was this very dark, dark sound, and more recently we've kind of moved into more of a a new age kind of vibe more of med meditation focusing on on kind of making feel peaceful rather than uh than making people feel anxious our last release was uh very much about climate change and and i think there's a an obvious push to kind of try to add a, a sense of urgency to it and and make people feel like they need to make changes quick but um i, I just over things that have happened especially you know with the pandemic and and other things like that, it uh, it all of a sudden felt very much more like a thing where we wanted people to feel calm and relaxed. I'm thinking of the most recent science recordings I've heard have a lot of uh, so-called real-world content. So there's news clippings and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it is quite a alarming, maybe, is the word for it. Yeah. In a, yeah. In a good way to me. I, I like being yeah. by music, but... It's more of a challenge to make that kind of calming, relaxing music, I find, especially... I'm always drawn to like a, a certain amount of dissonance. And, and I think Jenna and I both will be like, oh, this is a very calm, peaceful thing. And we'll send it to someone and they'll be like, oh, it's so menacing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, our definition of calm and relaxed might be different than someone else's, but. Right. Yeah. It's a sliding <laughs> scale depending on who the, who the receiver who the listener that is, sound yeah. is. That kind of brings up a general question. Do you find it easy to shift your instincts when you go between these groups? It's hard because sometimes people will ask you to jam based on something they've seen you do in the past. They might think, oh, yeah, I want some kind of something a little harsher or really metallic. And and you kind of see them and you think like, oh, they're, you know, they do kind of this like meditative calm thing. So I'm going to bring something different. And then you kind of get that sort of lost in translation kind of thing that mm -hmm. happens. But I think something I've been trying to do is just and it's and it sounds backwards but make music unintentionally just see what happens and and go with that direction rather than sitting down and being like hey we're gonna we're gonna try to make this like hard-hitting track it's gonna you know something like that it's it's almost better just to let it let something happen and then choose which parts of that you want to focus on more and then and then intentionally focus on those elements rather than sitting down and and having these preconceived notions on what the other person's going to do what about working as a soloist? What do you find you focus in on when you know that you're going to make either a recording or a performance? As a soloist, I really enjoy the exploration that you you have you have that time to explore at home by yourself. You can you could focus on something you know throughout the night and then go back to it the next day, and you can just keep keep going on that direction. I I think I really like the spontaneity of it. You can improvise something and and have this you know baseline of of something of a sound you like and then you can work with things over and over trying to find something else that that'll go with it in most cases i find that i'll jam something and then think that sounds cool and then i try to think of something that'll go over top of it and that doesn't usually work out and then i just kind of start messing around again the same way that i came up with the first element and then something lands and then you you kind of roll with that 
and you end up with something and sometimes it's very difficult to recreate but you have these stems that you can either sample or work with and and just do what you can it's that focus that being able to put everything under a magnifying glass and figuring out what you want to do with it or or just that experimentation throughout the pandemic being able not having shows to perform or or things to play or not even necessarily focusing on releases i've done a lot more sitting down with something and just being like let's see what this thing can do and not making sure that it sounds good mm-hmm. and and then sometimes you land on things that you're like oh that sounds pretty cool and it sounds even better when i play it with this you just get to experiment more and explore more which is what first drew me to experimental music when i started out usually i just had a record player and a looping pedal and i would just kind of loop things and then find other loops and and layer things and then just kind of make whatever sounds over top mm-hmm. and whatever was recorded to the tape that's that's what it was it's no way that i could do it again and i I've, I've been really exploring that aspect of you're doing this for yourself no one's going to hear it if it sounds good, you recorded it and you can do something with it, but it is not for that at all. Mm. And um, yeah, I found that I found that to be quite freeing. And yeah. yeah, and I think that's the thing with when you're a soloist is uh, getting to that point where you can make music just for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you like it, probably someone else will. Last June, we had a performance by you, which was called Phase Meditation. You've mentioned to me subsequently that that's sort of a new part of your your output. I've probably like accidentally done this in the past several times. And I mean, it's nothing new in terms of a concept, but just basically the idea is taking two, two instruments or two loops and just letting them go. And they're not quantized or anything like that. They're not exactly the same length. And so they'll slowly drift apart and, and interact in different ways. And this, I mean, it, it could be something where it's really small and they the phase kind of comes back together to where it originally was after a minute. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could be half an hour. It could be, you know, a very long time before it happens. And I found through the pandemic, I would jam, but then I would just kind of sit there and I would have these two loops going and I would just sit there and listen to them go in and out of time. And I found that I would sit there sometimes for an hour and just just be listening to these two things. Or I would fall asleep even and then mm-hmm. wake up hours later. <laughs> just as they and, come uh, together again. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I just, I found it to be such a, like an interesting thing, how you get this, these two things that initially work together and then they, they drift apart and then there, there might be some kind of chaos in the middle mm-hmm. or a part where it just is like, ooh, this sounds terrible. And then, and then at a certain point it'll, it'll sound good again, even though it didn't sound the way it originally did. And then after a, an amount of time you're back where you started a lot of the musical work is kind of ahead of the actual playing you create these two loops and then you just let them play for my new music edmonton performance a lot of it was just uh letting these two loops play and i would kind of change the eq and add some effects and things like that kind of making it a bit more dynamic but but for the most part you're just letting letting the music happen letting it go yeah. I believe you, 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 I believe you,
fascinating and it's a process and it's it's acoustics and it's all sorts of interesting things but also calming somehow yeah there's something about it happen (laughs) yeah and there's something about that letting like i i feel like for me it's it's almost like when the when the chaos happens that's when it almost like makes you anxious in a way like you Mm -hmm. you feel this like oh these things aren't working this is going poorly but then when they start to drift together again it's almost like that that washes it away. I almost, I almost think of it as, uh, you know, if you, if you create that anxiety, you have that control of that anxiety and then you can, you can push it away. And and to me, that's kind of what, what that's doing is, um, it starts off beautiful. It gets, I mean, in some situations it just stays beautiful, but you know, it might, (laughs) it might get to a point where you're like, Oh, this, this is bad, but it gets good again. Are you foreseeing this as being sort of a, a practice for a while? I plan on doing a release of them, of the the ones that I've kind of, a few that I've worked on over the pandemic. And um, I fully intend on calling it Phase Meditations Volume 1, because I could, I can kind of see this being something that I, you know, it just happens throughout, you know, every now and then I'll probably come up with a couple more and, and just release those. And I'm still not sure what, what format or what's the, what's the best way to release those, but yeah, but yeah definitely want them to be accessible. I mentioned just there about watching you performing in the live stream last June. And in addition to that experience of just witnessing that music happening while you were making it, it was also really noticeable that you had basically made a stage for yourself. of, of Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I guess a costume. And in other performances of yours I've seen, and also some things online, there's a strong visual element. I, I never really sense that they're separate things for you. I know that mm-hmm. you have a background as a visual artist. So what sort of ties sound and visuals together for you? For me, it's just that it's almost like uh, it helps someone in- interpret it. If someone isn't super into experimental music, it, they might kind of just think it's weird and scary every time. It, it kind of just helps put context, I guess, to the pieces. For the phase meditations one, I had kind of these just like rotating colors, meditative uh, uh, feeling and just kind of adding to that element of things just like constantly changing but it's a loop and it it's a way to take the eyes partly off of me there's sort of a a level of uh stage presence that that you want to have but i feel like as a electronic musician that can be hard some people are great at it um but some. <laughs> uh, uh yeah some people are great at it and, and, and i mean not that there's anything wrong with just sitting on stage. That's that's generally what I do. But it's what cello players um, do too. Really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 
I know uh, there's always the the whole thing against laptop musicians of, you know, it's boring to watch, but it's like, I mean, you know, unless a guitar player is jumping around, is it really that interesting to watch their fingers moving up and down? Like, Mm. it takes a little bit of the pressure off as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I always find, too, with something like a drone or something like that, it can be hard for some people to, to get into that. And I feel like adding that visual element puts them at ease. They don't have that sense of just like staring at someone on stage. <laughs> right. I think a lot of us are now starting to maybe see a little bit beyond our immediate circumstances and thinking about what might be on the other side of this. And I'm curious if you could talk about any vision or hopes that you might have for what the local scene here might be like as we move forward into what I think we all probably believe is a new phase in our community. I'd really like to see a lot, a lot less bar shows. Not, not anything against bars, but I just feel like I'd like to see, you know, more art spaces, but also in people's backyards or in someone's mm. living room. Yeah. You know, a lot of these shows, I feel like, you know, I, poorly attended is not the right word, but it's a small audience. And that's, I think that's fine. Ethan Bookma and I jammed this summer. We discovered that we lived pretty close together, so we we were hanging out a lot, and we were it was the pandemic, and it was summer, so we were just hanging out outside. And um, yeah, one day we decided like, hey, let's jam in the backyard, and and it was good. It was, it sounded all right, but then uh, we were like, hey, let's let's do it again, but let's record it next time. And then it just was it was like yeah, it just worked out perfectly. wasn't that 
either of us couldn't have done that by ourselves, like in terms of the, the instrumentation or just the musical ability to, to play the things we were doing. It was nothing complex, but um, just those two different voices together sounded better than, than one of the voices would have sounded alone. I've realized from the pandemic that the thing I like more than anything about playing a show is is playing for for my friends, people who I see at at shows and who we enjoy similar music. And I'm curious to see what it's going to be like, especially for the experimental scene, because there isn't as many venues as there no. used to be. We've been talking about the idea of smaller shows that happen multiple times, you know. So yeah, yeah. If we engage artist A to do a show, they might play for ten people. But they'll do that five times in five different places in the city. Totally. Like, you know, because whoever plays a show, you know, at First Street and First Avenue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what's there even, if there's anything, but... Uh, no, and that's... I mean, I think that is a thing. Like, I, 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 I think it was Maddie. I don't know if you know Maddie Culliver. He, he puts on no. a lot of hardcore and punk shows. Oh, okay. And mm -hmm. I remember he put on this show. This was, like, probably five years ago now. But he put on this show that it was kind of way out somewhere that it was at some pizza place that I'd never heard of or anything like that. And, and I remember someone commented on it that was like, why is the show so far away? And Maddie just commented far away from what? Yeah. And it, I was like, Hey, that's a good point. Like, I mean, people live everywhere in the city mm -hmm. and I do feel like in my previous life, I've been very drawn to like everything has to be on white Ave. Yeah. I would love to go to a show at, at first and first and see what's there. And that was me in conversation with Parker Thiessen. And I would just like to send my thanks out to Parker and to all of the artists heard in the recordings we included. I hope you'll consider having a look at work that Pseudo Laboratories has been doing, and please give a listen to some of their releases and maybe pick up a few of their cassettes or digital downloads. New Music Edmonton is a not-for-profit arts organization and is dependent on a vast array of sponsors, members, and volunteers. Funding for this season's presentations, including this podcast, has been provided by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Canadian Heritage, SoCan Foundation, Alberta Gaming and Liquor, and the City of Edmonton. We thank them all for their generosity and continued commitment to recognizing the vital role that the arts play in our lives. Thanks also to the members, volunteers, and NME staff and board members who keep it all together and happening for New Music Edmonton, and of course, Thank you for joining us.